Welcome to Emron's podcast, episode number 86. This is your host, Suman Silwal. You know, do what you want to do and, and enjoy life the way you want to, whether it's from competing in ultras, ultras, or curling at the Olympic. This week's podcast is brought to you by Southeastern Trail Runs. Visit southeasterntrailruns.com to learn about all the Southeastern Trail series, races. Also, this week's podcast is brought to you by Pinhoti Trail Runs. Early registration for Pinhoti 100 will begin in mid-December. I would like to welcome Carl Speedgoat Meltzer from Utah. Carl, how are you doing today? Hey, Suman, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing great. Um, you are my podcast uh, two, episode number two. Uh, we talked briefly during the Lake Martin when you came down, and I've been trying to bring you back. Some of you fan here in Alabama and the Southeast been asking me to bring you to to Imran's podcast, and then we we haven't been able to connect. And I finally saw you at the Pinahoti, and, uh, and then it was great to see you here in Alabama again. How, how was your return back to Alabama? Um, yeah, it's always good to go back to Alabama to run Pinahoti. It's one of my favorite 100-milers, especially east of the Mississippi. Yeah, it was good talking to you at Lake Martin. You know, it's cool to be on Imran's. I'm glad you uh, hooked me up to do a podcast with you. Definitely. It's always great to have you. We had a great run this weekend. Um, you were the first male winner, overall winner, and I was the last male finisher. So it was great from one, one finisher to next. Uh, it is great to be on the same uh, same field with you, uh, Carl. Uh, tell us about your uh, your recovery process. You know, Ben Hody was pretty brutal for us. It was it was a hard day. Tell us about the, before we actually go and go into Pinhoti, let's talk about recovery. How do you recover from a hundred mile race like Pinhoti? Um well Pinhoti number first off the bat, Pinhoti was very hot this year. It was eighty degrees. Todd Henderson, the race director, was saying it was hundred percent humidity. I'd have to agree with that. It was pretty ugly out there. So a lot of some things that happened to me, you know, moving forward to the recovery, it starts with the beginning, but uh I was cramping a lot from mile fifteen to sixty-five-ish a little before it got dark. So basically my muscles were taking a beating. So from a recovery standpoint, the most important thing that I'm going to try to do now, because I was cramping, my legs were super sore, um, is really about hydration and just continuing to eat, <laughs> you know, a lot of protein. I'm, I'm not really specific with my diet, but at the same time, as long as I stay ahead of my calories and stuff like that, I think I'm okay. I haven't run yet. It's Today is Thursday, I believe, and I still haven't run. I don't plan to run probably until Sunday. And I do feel really good. So the whole thing is that I've just been been eating and drinking and staying on top of my game, moving around, keeping my muscles moving. And, you know, by doing that, I mean, your body will regrow pretty quickly. I think that's really important. I think the worst thing I could do is be running five or six miles a day right now the last couple of days, even though I could have probably sucked it up and did it. I probably, it was the best thing for me not to do that. So it's really about coming back slowly for me. Definitely. Uh, going back to uh, running the Pinhoti, uh, like you mentioned, it was the, one of the humidest year. We had all kind of weather, but this year was just the humid. From get-go, uh, we, we were promised some cooler weather up, up by the Pinnacle area, up the up the Riz, and there was nothing there. And it just went on and on and on. Uh, tell us about, uh, I know that you have gone, you have as many 100-mile and, and ultra-marathon you have done. You have gone through extreme weather conditions like Minhoti. Tell us about how do you prepare for such a condition, either hot or cold? Well, for as far as hot conditions go, as far as preparing for it, you'd have to just remember that um, everyone else is also running in the heat. <laughs> so it's, you know, I mean, it's going to hurt. You have to expect it to be hot. You have to expect it to be uncomfortable. And you really have to stay on top of your hydration and your body cooling and, and your salt and, and, you know, and your fuel and everything else. Really, it's it's hydration is super important, but cooling your body is also, from the outside, 
just as important. So whenever I had the opportunity to use ice on my body, down my neck, in my wrist, my wife was putting it in my hat, little things like that, it was helping me cool. Every time I stopped by a creek, you know, I, I splashed some water on myself. So I was really focused really about taking care of myself. And that's really how you do, how you deal with these kind of like conditions like this. How much hydration do you take in mm-hmm. on such a condition? Because a lot of, a lot of people um, had to drop out because of, uh, like you said, not taking care of themselves, hydration. I mean, I hadn't, I had, didn't have that problem because I exclusively train in this kind of weather in Alabama. Right. <laughs> but, but for you, um, tell us about uh, how do you train or how do you prepare for such a thing? For me, training for hydration, I, I'm. what's kind of funny is I, I'm sort of a camel. So if I go out to run, say, a 12 or 14-mile run near my house in Utah where it's very dry, the opposite of Alabama, but I won't even take any water. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best training or not, but at the same time, uh, it works for me. But during Pinhoti, I probably drank, I'm going to say, 15 to 20 ounces of water per hour. That was about my number. And I, I, really, I really think that even when it's really hot, you want to stay on that number, on that average number, and maybe a little bit higher if it's super hot. But drinking too much water isn't necessarily going to cool your body. It's going to keep you hydrated. So you have to cool your body in other forms. And that, that comes from the ice. That comes from drinking something that's like drinking some ice water that's super cold all at once and you throw it into your body and that sort of cools your body from internally. I know that that's, these are things that we probably haven't heard before, but at the same time, that's kind of how I do it. And, uh, you know, I it works you know i just it's all about cooling your body when it's hot out i mean for me i had like i said i had that cramping issue from you know mile 17 to 65 ish or something like that the second it got cooler sun went down even dropped like 10 degrees my body core dropped and everything got better and i wasn't like don't get me wrong i wasn't bomber i was super sore but at the <laughs> same time you know i was totally sore i mean it hurt you know don't get me wrong but at the same time the cramps went away and that comes from the heat so you have to manage that stuff ultra running is really about managing your issues. Nobody has a perfect run 100 miles every time. I mean, it's I've done, done it 77 times. I have about five runs where that, that I really nailed it. So it's not easy to hit it on the nose. Definitely. That's what I was going to ask you. In the back of the packer, like me, I mean, I had a great run, probably 34, 35 miles, and then just started getting bad to worse to extremely bad. So yeah. <laughs> that's why we do it, right? Exactly. I mean, it was all part of the process. You know, that's what I was telling myself, you know, and even, even though I hate it, but at the, at the moment, but I knew that the part of the process was going forward and marching ahead and finishing. But uh, from the pack like you, uh, running at that speed uh, in any race, a 100-mile race, how do you manage the speed uh, for you? I mean, you know, I was trying to, this time I was trying to be as as conservative or not try to go as fast as possible from the get-go because in the past I have done it. I bombed much earlier and then suffered through the race. Uh, how do you manage going doing the speed runs like that? Well, well, for me, running hundreds, um, let's just say that I never look at someone else's split chart. I don't make my own split chart. I don't care what the record pace is. I don't um, look at my competitors and see what they've run there in the past. So, you know, from a competitive standpoint, I don't look at any of that. All I'm thinking about is myself, and I run in my comfort zone. So my comfort zone may be a little faster than Suman's comfort zone, right? Sure. But at the, right? But at the same time, I stay in that zone, and I kind of see how long it lasts. <laughs> I mean, fortunately for me, my comfort zone is pretty quick, right? So I end up at the end of a 100-mile or whether I win or I'm near the front of the pack or whatever. I mean, that's great. Um, 
I never get out of that zone. And, you know, if I'm struggling, I'm suffering, my belly isn't taking any water in. I had that issue at Penhody the last 20 miles. I really wasn't taking any much water or gel at all. I basically, like I said, I kind of survived to the end. But uh, I'm listening to my body and giving, taking the maximum out of it when I can without going overboard and, and kind of like screwing myself for later. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's just kind of, I mean, it sounds kind of silly to say all that. But at the same time, it's just all about effort. You know, the watch doesn't really mean anything your body will give you what it can and if you use that right effort if you can stay at that consistent i don't know if there's even a right percentage number but if you can stay at that 70 percent you know or whatever it is for you that's comfortable the whole race then you're going to do the best that your body will give you and that's kind of how i run races now i mean i, I don't focus my racing on anyone else i just do it the way it happens and had brian been in better shape than i was or a little faster than brian would have won um, I just happened to come out on top, which is highly gratifying. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Let's focus a little bit uh, away. Uh, we will come back to this topic in Pinhoden a little bit later on. I just wanted to go a little bit deeper on your running, running, running journey. Uh, you are the winniest uh, trail runner of the world. Uh, I think that's what you mentioned. Uh, mm -hmm. um, tell us, uh, tell us about how did uh, this uh, your whole journey of trail running uh, started? Because I uh, looked at your uh, your bio, or looks like you have mm -hmm. done all ultra runs. Uh, did you start as a, like us, like a road runner, marathoners, or did you go straight to uh, doing ultras? Right. Well, I started my career. Well, I don't know if a career, but I started running when I was 10 years old. You know, I followed my dad around, ran a little bit, ran some 5Ks, 10Ks. So basically. We started on the road, even though I, that would be super young to start. Um, that's kind of when I did it. And then I went to high school, was pretty good. We mostly ran on the roads in high school, even though we raced cross country, which was my favorite event. We ran on the roads a lot. After high school, I went to college. Didn't run for a couple of years. Um, I kind of missed it. Every once in a while, I'd go for a run and, and really had a good time with it. But then I was I couldn't move for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> so it was <laughs> so better to be more consistent. But um, that was when I was in college. And then I moved to Utah to be a ski bum and went skiing for my, you know, my first season out here. I skied 120 days that year, like just about every day. And uh, then I started running in the summertime up in the mountains and I, I fell in love with that and started kind of from there. I ran a lot of trail races that were shorter. Um, I did well. I won a number of them. I didn't win them all. I won some of them. But then my first ultra was 96. You know, Pikes Peak Marathon was the big race in the early 90s. But then I graduated into the Wasatch 100 and then, you know, going forward. I just found that 100 miles is really my distance that where I can really excel because it's about strategy and just it's not really about speed. You don't have to be really that fast to be good at 100 miles. You just have to be able to run a certain speed for a long time. So <laughs> that's kind of how it started, and that's how it's still going. Definitely. Have you ever thought about in, in, when you started running when you were 10-year-old, thought that ran, running will be part of the rest of your life? What a journey for you, correct? I, I don't think I thought about it would be you know my career. Like some young kids, they grow up to be golfers, and they hope to be a professional golfer when they're 10. I wouldn't say I was hoping to be a professional runner when I was 10. I don't think I knew what the hell I was doing, you know? <laughs> I, know. I, uh, I just, I was a kid and I was in school and I was having fun and, you know, I kind of let it gravitate towards myself as opposed to me, you know, seeking out to do something that 
maybe I don't want to do. So I just kind of let it come to me. Definitely. Part of your running journey, uh, doing whatever you do. Uh, tell us uh, about what do you think about somebody's doing 100 mile? Or I think we talked a little bit whenever we talked first time. My question is uh, people trying to cover the distance. I, I get that question a lot. Uh, how do I know if I'm ready for 100? I mean, I had the same problem when I did my first 100. Uh, I didn't know if I was ready. How would you know if you're ready? Like you said, you as long as you go distance consistently, you can do it. But what are the other, other factors? Factors are involved to be a hundred miler. Well, if you're if you're a beginning hundred miler, you really only know if you're ready if you go do it. You know, the first one is like you don't. No one ever really knows if they're ready to do it because you're you're a virgin. You don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just how it is. You know. But as far as like you know, someone like myself who's done you know over fifty one hundreds, how do I know if I'm ready? Um, it's sort of the same thing. Is that I, I sort of knew that this season after running the Appalachian Trail last year that more than likely I would be more fit late fall and it's sort of it's funny because it's actually ringing true i was didn't do well at hard rock i had a little better run rabbit run and now i had a better run up in hody and a 50k before that so i'm sort of know know where i'm at you know how do you know you're ready i mean <laughs> that's a really hard question because you really know you don't really ever know um you can only hope that the training that you've done has, has gone well and you've you know you've tapered well or you've you've peaked out with your mileage and any or whatever it is whatever you're training for the only way you're really going to know is if you run the race hard and give it your best and find out. And then you learn over years of experience of like what works for you and what doesn't. And that's where experience really comes into play because you can look at all the numbers, all the books, all the charts, you know, all the graphs, whatever, wherever it is. Um, but experience tells the truth. And uh, that's just, that's how you learn more about yourself. Definitely. Talk about running, uh, running and recovering. We talked about earlier. Some of the questions uh, I got uh, from some of the, your fan, I was asked that what was the recovery like from AT to to running a fast 100 mile are they different uh, you ran fastest uh, Appalachian Trail and then uh, then running 100 mile winning the 100 mile uh, running fast uh, how does those recovery work AT was so many days correct <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, recovering from the Appalachian Trail takes what seems like forever it took about four or five months this time for me to really feel like I was what I call up to speed and I, w I demonstrated myself being sort of up to speed at uh, just a Moab like I think it's a 30K or something like that, about 20 miles. I ran it. I had no intention of beating anyone, racing anyone. I just kind of ran it. And I said, okay, I'm getting closer. And that was about four months after I finished the AT, maybe five months. What's crazy about something like that is that it takes so much out of your body to go 50 miles a day on a trail like that, that you don't know how long it's going to take to recover. It just takes forever. Your legs feel like lead uh, for a long time. But then, you know, eventually your body regrows and comes back to your normal state. And, uh... You start running well again. And, you know, then I ran Georgia Death Race and I came in fifth. I had no, again, no intentions to run faster. I just kind of ran it to see where I was. But I knew when I finished Georgia Death Race that I was becoming more and more fit. And then, you know, four weeks later, I won the Zangre 50 against some fast buddies of mine that I thought they'd all beat me. <laughs> so uh, I totally did. I was, I caught myself by surprise by running that well there. Yeah, six months, you know, about six months. I have a lot of friends, and I have interviewed a lot of uh, fellow runners uh, who um, who run races, uh, a lot of races, and they get burnt out. How many races do you do a year, competitive uh, racing you do uh, per year? Well, I, th this year I've done seven ultras. So and one shorter race for me that's enough. I used to do I used to do up to ten something like that. But for me the motivation is it's there. I like to run. You know it's not hard for me to say hey I'll go to a race and I'll go travel to Alabama or I'll go travel to California and go run a race. It's my job. 
you know, I hate to say it's my job, but it's sort of my job. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you have to think about it. if you're a professional athlete and whether you're a basketball player, soccer player, or football, whatever, even though you love your job 100%, it's the most awesome thing. It's still your job. So I like to go run races and do my thing. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm still motivated to do it. I mean, I'm almost 50. I'll be 50 in exactly a month right now. So um, I hope to stay motivated to keep doing it and just keep living my life. I mean, I live once. I'm not going to go sit on a rocking chair yet. <laughs> Definitely. I am, I am ready to join the country club, but at the same time, you know, I wish I could afford that. But at the same time, uh, I'm going to keep running as long as I can. Definitely. Talk about that. Um, uh, you just uh, mentioned something, some of the leading question talking about the age aging as you age uh, are you seeing changes on you your body and your attitude for running you know um, your speed from what, what the younger you versus current you is it changing for you as, as i age i definitely you know i'm a little more sore in the morning i mean that's that's kind of a no-brainer you know you no kidding right yes um, <laughs> You know, yeah, of course, you're going to be a little more sore in the morning, but the whole key is that I'm so motivated, you know, to go out and run. I think that's the most important thing. I'm definitely getting slower and you have to understand that, you know, 10, 12, 14 years ago when I was probably at my peak speed time, you know, I, I sort of went, every, went into every race, not expecting to win, don't get me, not at all, but just to be in it, you know, to be in the front. And now it's sort of like, well, I don't really expect to be in the front. If I run Western, I'm not going to win Western, you know, I maybe 10 years ago, I might have, but now I was no way. Same with hard rock. It's the same deal. So you just have to understand that you get older and you're a little slower and body hurts a little more. <laughs> Definitely. And, uh, Tell me about it. Yeah, no. And, you know, as long as the motivation stays there, I don't think it matters. It's just, it's uh, you know, it's just running. It's what it is. And we do it because we love it. Definitely. Carl, you talked about the A's and A's with A's, uh, the, you know, as many years as you ever run. Uh, how do you get the motivation is there something or somebody motivates motivates you to go forward? You know, you put a lot of efforts training to line up for a race. What motivates you? Um, I, I think what motivates me, it's really not someone else. I think it's myself. I mean, I'm motivated. I mean, I'm, I'm a mover, you know. I'm not the kind of guy that kind of sits around and surfs on the Internet and all that kind of stuff. I do a little bit of that, but... At the same time, uh, for some reason, I need to get up in the morning and go exercise of some sort, whether it's riding my bike or running or something. So running, obviously, is my natural thing to do. And I don't really need to be motivated to do that. You know, I just go do it. And then you always feel better when you're done. And I'm sure you know that. So that's my motivation is that I know I feel better when I'm done and I feel like I've accomplished something during the day. And then from that point, I'm not going to say my day is 100% complete because there's always other things to do, but that's the first thing on my agenda to get done is go exercise of some sort and running is my passion. So it's easy. I know it's hard for others, but I think once you get to the process of what the addiction really sets in that you just like doing it, then it's not even really, it's certainly not work. Um, might be my job, but it's not work. So that's the best job in the world. Definitely. That sounds like great motivation to go yeah. out and do it. Uh, for me, it's, um, I had to put races on my calendar and get motivated and uh, run, train, and, you know, looking forward to meeting a lot of people. And a lot of people factor for me. I get, I get the joy of meeting a lot of people. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say, I think it's fair to say, assuming that, you know, I mean, I, I, I need, I sometimes need a race to focus on to motivate to get out. You know, just like you just mentioned on, about yourself, when you have no races on the calendar or no focus or no goal, it's kind of, sometimes it's kind of like, well, why am I doing this? 
and it's easy to talk yourself out of it. So sometimes it's important to put those goals, you know, in ahead of you so you achieve them. You know, you may not achieve your goal every single time you run a race, but at the same time, you still achieve the goal of going to the race and training for it. So it's important for people to maybe take maybe take that attitude. And, you know, if you're kind of having a hard time motivating, just put something on your plate. Give yourself a goal. Definitely. Tell us about uh, what 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 is the key factor makes you who you are a successful ultra runner tell us what what is that factor what, what is what is that one thing or five thing 10 things that you do daily so that you become what what you are right now um easy answer i don't let other things i don't let things bother me that's it <laughs> uh, well that's the thing is because you know stress is stress is a bad thing right in general generally speaking stress is a bad thing and i don't really feel like i stress out too much about things and i think whether you're running a 100 mile or a 50k 50 mile appalachian trail whatever if you take a laid back attitude at most things and kind of like are able to let things you know blow over your shoulder or not be too concerned about things that don't matter, of course. You're probably going to be more successful in life in a lot of different directions, whether it's running or whether you own a business or whatever that might be. You have to take take the punches as they come, and that's kind of that's kind of how I do it. And I take the punch, and if someone knocks me over, I just get back up, and you know maybe I walk back into the punch again, but uh, maybe I won't. You know, so yeah. well that's just the truth. You know, I just like I'm not going to let other people bother me or influence what I like to do because, you, like I said before, you only live once, and uh, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And having that attitude, I think, is important if you want to be successful at a lot of athletic achievements because uh, it, you know it is what it is. <laughs> you know? I mean, when it's eighty when it's eighty percent, one hundred percent humidity, it's going to be hot at Benodi. So you deal with it. You know, um, if it's fourteen degrees at the Barry One Hundred, like it was one year that I ran it, and it's freaking cold and it's snowing, you got to deal with it. And you just you just do it. Yeah, a lot of time going back to Pinhoti because we just came out of Pinhoti. Wanted me to go back and talk about our experience. Uh, but you know, a lot of people dropped out. Uh, there was a fifty-five percent rate dropping out. Um, looking at what your performance, my my thing is, we kept on going. Is it a mental? attitude that we have that we want to finish is it something that we're looking beyond what is that for you i mean for me is i just want to finish attitude for me was i'm going to run 30 hours and only way they're going to take me off the course is either they're going to pull me off or i see the finish line and i did end up seeing the finish line so <laughs> Yeah. Right. You were, in a, you were in a great mental state, Sim. And so that, I was there, too. I mean, for me, I had a couple more mo- other motivating factors. I mean, it was the 17th year in a row for me to win 100. You know, this is maybe my last chance. Um, I mean, it's getting to be the end of the year. So for me, the motivation to finish was like, I'm finishing. I'm giving it everything I have. And if I don't win, that's OK. But someone's going to have to beat me. I'm not going to lose it. You know, I mean, that's for me, my motivation was no problem. Um but generally speaking, every time anyone's ever dropped out of any race, whether it's a 5K or a 100-mile race, you feel bad about it the next day or two. Um, you know, it blows over eventually and everything's fine, but um, we never feel good about it. So like yourself, had you dropped – say had you say you dropped out at mile 65 or say I dropped out on top of Chiha because I didn't feel so good or whatever, I'd be – you know, feeling pretty upset right now. Like, why didn't I just keep going? <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, come on, how hard was it really? Um, yeah. It was hard at the time, but it's, I mean, it's only 24 hours or 30 hours. It's not that long. So you just got to like deal with that kind of stuff. I mean, 
Definitely. You and I are like that. You know, if you want to finish, you can do it. And it doesn't always get worse. Right out of Dave Horton's um, quotation book right there. doesn't always get worse. So deal with it. 30 hours, I mean, big deal. What, <laughs> what, time, what percentage of your lifetime is 30 hours, right? Yeah, definitely. Not, for, not very long. Not very long, definitely. One of the other things that I always talk about uh, for a running 100, a lot of times people talk about things going bad. In running 100, things going bad times three or four times, you know. It'll keep yeah. on, it'll go bad, gets better, and keep on staying in that mental attitude. I mean, I have, even when I was running this past weekend, I had a lot of downs and ups and downs. And, you know, so the keeping up with that is really, sometimes people get to a point and they just can't handle it anymore. And they don't realize if they just pass that wall, there's something better next. Right, right. And it can happen, you know. I mean, the second it got cool for everybody in the evening, I'm sure they felt better, you know. Guaranteed. I mean, there's no way anyone started to feel worse after that nastiness of a day. You know, I mean, that's just, you have to tell yourself it's not that long. You know, I know I say 100 miles is not that far. Well, sure. I didn't say it didn't hurt. You know, it's just not that far. I mean, you can get it done if you really want to. Definitely. Let's talk about uh, some of the other um, uh, other aspect of running 100 mile. Uh, when I saw you at the package, uh, package pickup area, you had a five drawbacks, and you mentioned that you always have a drawbacks. And uh, let's talk about it a little bit so the listeners know uh, what kind of things you do to prepare yourself for 100 mile. Yeah, well, for my drawbacks, all I had in my drawbags were just gel, what I like to eat basically on the trail. So it was just gels, my lights when I needed them. And I, you know, I think that's all I had. I had plenty of lights out there. I had about four lights in my drawbags total. So, and I, and I finished at 1 a.m. So I'm pretty prepared in my lighting. But my, my whole getting back to why I have drawbags, my wife was there to crew and she's the best crew ever. She knows what she's doing. She's been to home, been Hody twice. Um, I could give all my stuff to her, but what if she gets a flat tire, hits a deer? Who knows, you know? Um, you never know what's really going to happen. So if I put my drop bags out on the course, if mine don't get there, well, then everyone else's doesn't either, right? So, then <laughs> it's a fair, you know, well, then it's a fair fight. So you can always go get them at the aid station. So yeah, I just play that safety factor, you know, for drop bags. I just think it's it's happened before. I've seen people have their crew crewing for them, and they don't show up because they they you know they underestimated the time, or they hit a mud hole, or they went it was snowy, or whatever. Um, it's just not worth that mistake. You know, it's an easy mistake to fix. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll, after I seen you and uh, and some of the places I really needed a draw bag, even though I had a Pacer crew, uh, I didn't have any draw bag at Pinnacle. I think in the future mm-hmm. I'm going to put draw bags like you have done and every A station, things I may need. And like you said, um, my first time running a Pinahody, I was running so fast early, my, my whole crew under uh, overestimated that I will arrive faster to the ball rock than, than I supposed to. So they end up going to Silent Trail, and I was looking for them at the ball rock. So I was, right, uh, I was right. so destroyed. So <laughs> but, Yeah, uh, I mean, drop bags. I use drop bags. You know, ideally for me, it's about every 20 miles. So I don't I don't think I used all the drop bag locations because if you use too many drop bags, if you don't really, if you don't need them, it's not worth um, the extra stop time of looking for it, getting into it, doing whatever. You know, that's another thing about efficiency and strategy is that I don't I don't spend much time at an aid station, so as little as possible. Having too many drop bags is is foolish. It's all about spacing them out the right distance for you. If you're a slower runner, obviously you might get them a little closer. But for me, 20 miles is about right. That sounds good. Talking about changing and using strategy, do you uh, uh do you change your shoes or socks? Uh, because we a race like being we have a lot of creek crossing and you know water gets in the feet and do you change your shoes often how how do you do that 
Uh, I, I've never changed my shoes or socks. I don't think I've only won in one race. I've ever changed my shoes, and that was only because the the tread pattern was different on a different pair. <laughs> uh, it wasn't because I needed to. It's thirty hours. You know, it's a short race. Deal with it. Got you. I mean, I came home. And, I mean, I had the speed goat. Hope the speed goats on. I have no blisters. I have no issues with my feet. You know, I mean, it's not just the shoe. It's you wear what you want to wear, but in whatever fits you, right? But I just think that it's, uh, you know, I know how to handle it. And I, I mean, again, I have no problems with my feet. So why change them? I mean, I, I my feet were wet after mile ten, probably, but they drained. You know, whatever the creek that was, I don't remember exactly what mile it was, but um, they got wet pretty early. But uh. They drain fast, they dry out, and man, it was so humid anyway, they were wet to begin with, so it didn't matter, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I changed my shoes at mile 55. I was going to yeah. change it one more time, and I didn't get around, but um, but I kept my socks, same socks. I think I got some blisters and stuff, and I didn't change my socks at all, so, so I stayed with them. two yep. shoes at least. So. so I see a lot of time people changing shoes and socks and you know, I guess uh, yeah. Also, that that equals the time in this a station. Um, well, it's, it's just a little overkill. I mean, you don't. I mean, it's, whatever feel good for you is fine. You know, but at the same time, it's like your feet are just gonna hurt anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, don't you know? Don't kid yourself. It's gonna happen. So just deal with it. Definitely. Uh, talking about that. Uh, talking more about uh, the running races. Tell us about how do you deal with the the nutrition, uh, eating food during the race. You talk about gel a little bit. My digestive system shut down after probably Adam's Gap. I was just not eating anything because I I don't mind to eat on the A station, but but just nothing that I want to eat. So how do you deal with uh, eating food? What kind of what kind of things do you usually use? I mostly go the whole race on gel. Uh, gel, some assorted assorted brand flavors. Um, I used Ultragen from First Endurance. They're like a recovery drink, just a little bit of that at a time. And I had some pineapple, which was awesome. Uh, my wife had that for me. Uh, and I had some Red Bull, of course. Um, I chugged probably four Red Bulls throughout the whole race, which really isn't that much. Um, maybe about half of one every time I you know, I had a chance to. And some aid stations had that for me, actually, uh, by request, <laughs> uh, which was cool. Um, but that's really about it. And salt capsules from Salt Stick. When I was cramping early, I was doing about two of those an hour, which those consist of about 320 milligrams of salt per pill. So two of those an hour is 650 milligrams of salt. And then there was some salt also in the gels that I was eating too. So I had quite a bit of salt during the middle of the race when it was super hot. But other than that, I mean, straight water in my bottles. I don't do anything in my bottles as far as like um, electrolyte drink or anything. I just go straight water because water is always the equalizer. You can always balance all the other stuff out with you can just add water. Definitely. Um, I, I hear a lot of lot of other products and uh, I'm also all water because I was out, but but I'm asked to use like a Tailwind products like that so to see if that'll help me and because I'm, maybe the food would help me. But I, I don't do a lot of gels as well. But I'm I'm willing to try new things, so so that's that's <laughs> that's what it is for well, me. Well, the whole thing about ultras, you know, I said managing issues. It's all about finding out what works for you best. And you know, I never knew that I'd be eating pineapple in races, but when I went to Costa Rica maybe four years ago, all they had was pineapple. So <laughs> we were, you know, I didn't bring it. I don't think I brought gels down there. I brought some gels, but not many. But um, pineapple was wonderful, you know, and it was just super juicy fruit. And it's amazing that eight stations in most races don't actually have that instead of even watermelon or even, you know, stuff like that. Pineapple was amazing. 
And it's just, uh, you got to find out what you like. And it takes a few races to figure that out. Definitely. Let's move forward. Uh, let's talk about uh, your brand, Speedgoat. We we have heard, uh, you, you told us about uh, your brand, how it started uh, back uh, back in days. And uh, tell us, uh, uh, if, t- if you want, let's talk about a little bit about the starting of a brand and things you do with the brand. You have a lot of other things going on with that brand, Speedgoat brand. Yeah, so the name Speedgoat was uh, just a random thing that my buddy and I were driving down the road, home from the driving home from the Pikes Peak Marathon, and we saw Jack Rabbit across the road, and I said, "Hey, it's a Speedgoat." And we were just kind of joking and laughing around, but um, bottom line is, I I bottled that name up into my head for you know ten or fifteen years, and then started to just kind of use it as a nickname. I was actually nicknamed that at the Zangray 50, I think in two, I think it was 2000, maybe 99, somewhere in that ballpark, but um. You know, I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. And then someone started calling me the Wasatch Speedgoat. And it just sort of stuck. Just a you know, standard nickname like anyone would have. But, you know, I mean, the idea of uh, Speedgoat Carl's Coffee. Again, I just connected with Chris at Jameson Coffee. And he decided to make the blend for me, you know. So that's so now we just have a, just, you know, it's partnership. Uh, the Speedgoat Shoe, it's, I mean, Hokanah makes a Speedgoat Shoe, as most people well know. Um, that's just, you know, use my nickname and sell shoes and, <laughs> and you know well not just sell shoes but you know i had a lot to do with the input on what the shoe is and what it's about how it rides the soft the cushiness the tread all those kind of things so i mean it's it's you know it's, it's the air jordan of trail running as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i don't think we'll sell as many as air jordan but at the same time it's like it's an honor to have that you know right. i mean i have a speed goat pack from ultra spire they, you know, I've worked with them as a partner. So like, I guess sort of like started the brand and who knows where it's going to go in the future. But I just think, you know, for me, I'm not out to get rich. I'm just out to, to enjoy my life. And that was one way of sort of like preserving my legacy um, after I no longer run anymore. <laughs> so hopefully the Speedgoat brand will, will, you know, continue on. Definitely. Uh, talk about uh, Sue's, uh, your Speedgoat, Sue's Hoka Speedgoat. Do you wear that uh, all your races, or do you wear different type of shoes? What do you do? Well, I'm wearing the Hoka Speedgoats at all my races. I mean, it's, it's because I run technical races. If I ran a road race, I'd probably wear the Hoka Cliftons, but it's not a road race. You know, I want tra- soft, cushy traction. So, yeah, I'm wearing that shoe all the time. It's also a really good shoe for winter. People don't realize it, but because it has an aggressive sole, unless it's icy. You know, ice is ice, and ice, you need metal. But if it's not ice... It's the shoes are amazing on the snow too, with the tread pattern. So I just like that kind of shoe, you know. Of course, that's what I'm running in. Definitely, just just, just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to make sure, you know. It's all right. You just mentioned about uh, keeping your legacy and going forward. What do you see yourself next five to ten years as a runner, as a motivation factor for a lot of us that we look up to you? How how, how do you see yourself uh, ten years from now? Well, I see myself smoking a cigar at the country club. <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I don't think I'll be smoking any cigars. But, but uh, no, I I think that uh, I, I still want to do what I want to do, which is mostly running around the mountains, having fun, playing golf. Um, I hope to be part of the scene at some, you know, to some degree. I don't I don't necessarily think I'll be a professional athlete when I'm 60. I mean, that would be kind of cool. I think you know there aren't many people out there are professional athletes when they're 60 unless they're golfers, and I'm not gonna quite qualify for that one so i just kind of want to be you know do what i do and love 
running around and I'll just keep riding it as long as I can so I can enjoy my life as best that I can whether it's through running or you know like I, you know, I mentioned golf once in a while but I love playing the game it's just like so addicting definitely just want to do, do what I do you know I don't want to I don't want to have to I want to retire I want to retire at least by the time I'm 60 at the very latest well I'd like to say earlier I'd like to say 55 and I'm almost 50 now in next month so I don't yeah. want to work don't get me don't get yourself wrong you know I don't want to work I don't think anybody wants to work. Definitely. I, I met a gentleman uh, up in Boston when I was running in Boston this year. He said, this is my last Boston because uh, it bothers me, people beating me. I used to be very competitive. And yeah. now I kind of run that speed. And he said, "This is I'm not going to do this anymore. I wonder if we, as we as we get old, I wonder if that's going to sell, sell in our mind saying, hey, you know, I can't do it because I used to be fast in my young age. And for me, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I, I don't, I, it doesn't bother me whether I'm first or last. Last. I'm, as long as I'm finishing and running, I'm happy. I think you mentioned that it doesn't bother you too, correct? Well, I think that's correct. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me to to get slower. I think there definitely comes a time you have to step back and say, okay, I'm not running with Killing Journey today. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and not that I could ever before. I'm just saying that um, you all have to accept um, life as it is. I, I'm, I think I'm still going to have fun, whether in, whether you're in a race. To win the race, to come in top 10, to come top 50, to come in top half, or or to beat the cutoffs, it's still a race. It's still like the excitement of like the clock chasing you down, you know? I think that's why we all do it. It's it's not about beating, you know, it's not always about beating the other guy. It really isn't for me. I mean, I know I've had a real successful career and I've won a lot of times. And, you know, during the race, sure, it might have been about beating the other guy. But it's not really about beating the other guy every day. <laughs> um, I just like to be out there and... I just hope I can enjoy my life like, you know, as long as I can like that. I just hope that I, I last that long. Like my dad is 76 and he is he's not running ultras, you know, but he hiked up Mount Washington last week, you know, something like that in New Hampshire, which is big. It's huge for a lot of people. So I just kind of want to be doing the same kind of stuff that he's doing. Definitely. Carl, as many uh, races you have run around the country, around the world, uh, what are your favorite race uh, that you think of? That's a good question. My favorite race, my favorite race. I think, I, I don't know if I really have, I don't necessarily think I really have a favorite. I think my favorite thing um, and, you know, it's not really a race, but the Appalachian Trail means a lot to me. I think that that trail, doing that trail um, a c- couple of times with a supported crew like that is like is a priceless thing to do. Not many people get to do that, you know, in their lifetime. I mean, we're talking very, very, very few. Right. Right. So to be able to do something like that, to me, that's not again, it's not a race, but it's um Probably my favorite thing. As far as coolest races go, um, from what I've done anyway, I mean, there's a million great races now, but um, UTMB really is a cool thing because what UTMB did when they started about 10 or 11 years ago is they started this race at the birthplace of mountaineering, right? So they, they put this track around Mont Blanc, which is absolutely spectacular if you've never been there you need to go there (laughs) Um, it is incredible um you just need to check it out you know what they did is they created the tour de france of ultra running and i didn't run the first couple years of it i ran about the third or fourth or fifth year of it or something and i had a chance to win that race and i i blew it and that's okay you know what is what it is but um it's just a spectacular environment. The whole scene of just feeling like you're in the Tour de France is special, and that's why that race is so cool. You know, Hard Rock has a, definitely has a lot of you know meaning to me. I mean, I, it was the first is sort of what put me on the map in 2001. 
Um, I had won in 1998, but when I broke that record at Hard Rock in 2001 by three hours, it was like, no one's ever going to run that again. Now the record's four hours faster than that, right? <laughs> but Which I expected that too. I mean, I, you know, records are made to be broken, but that put me on the map. So that sort of like started my career a little bit. So that race is pretty special. But it really, you know, I mean, which one's the best? I don't know. There's whatever you, whatever kind of terrain you like to run on is, is the best race is. Definitely. I mean, uh, sometimes the last race is the best race for me. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's like, you know, I had a great time in Hody, and when I finished, I I feel good, you know, so I was a great race. <laughs> yeah. So that's just how it is. Definitely. Uh, talk about that, uh, races. Uh, is there any races or any places that you haven't done or you like to do? Is there anything you, you, you're looking forward to do? Well, um, one race I haven't um, really had my really good crack at is Western. And, you know, I've done it twice. I have done it twice. But uh, both times I went there, I was either off the couch or I was partially injured or something. I really wasn't very fit. I hope to get in this year and and run well there. And we'll we'll see what that pans out on that one. But um, that's one race that sort of eluded me. So I kind of want I'd like to to have a good race there. As far as traveling wise, you know, it'd be cool to go back to UTMB, but it's and, or run something else in Europe that is just as spectacular because there's so many races in Europe that are the Alps are just ridiculous. Um, they blow they blow the U.S. mountains away. Sorry, but <laughs> uh, but there's no comparison on that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just I like a good crack at Western. Definitely, um, I put my name for my lottery as uh, yeah. this year as well. That's uh, my birthday. Hopefully, I, I get the birthday gift. So. So. Oh, nice. There you go. Hopefully put that on your entry, you know. Come on. <laughs> yeah, come on. You know, I, I, I should have. I don't know. I don't think they had a comment section. So, there but, you go. At least get a couple extra tickets. Yeah, definitely. I need to, I need to email them and say, hey, man, Carl, it, it has been really pleasure to meet you, talk to you, knowing you, following you. It's a really interesting journey you, you, have, you have been through running, uh, uh, ultra running. Uh, and uh, you have a lot of fans here in Alabama, around the country. If you want to give a uh, message, we talked so much about so many different aspects. Give us your final thought for all your fans um, like me. Well, the message, and you can, you can all read it in the book when it comes out in about six months. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but but the truth but the truth is uh, there is a book coming. It's I've been working on that. But um, at the same time, the real message is that you know do what you want to do and and enjoy life the way you want to. Whether it's from competing in ultras, ultras or curling at the Olympics, you know who cares what it is. Follow your passion. Um, you live once, and once you when you're dead, you're dead. Seinfeld said it great, and uh, the truth is what it is. So you just got to deal with your issues and just keep running. Definitely keep running. And I didn't know about that you have a book coming so we'll have to bring you back once the book is out again so right on yeah whenever you have a book tour if you come to alabama uh this time i didn't get to see you here in birmingham but but if you come back to alabama we'll uh we'll run some oak mountain trails so well, well assuming you didn't see me but i saw you <laughs> yeah right definitely <laughs> yeah i did when i was finishing all i saw was the cameraman my daughter right. and the finishing line a little blurry for you yeah yeah there was nothing there and then i saw the video you're right at the finishing line waiting for me so <laughs> thanks for that though i, I, I wish i have seen you so it, it has been great great pleasure uh seeing you again and uh Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll uh, we'll wish you luck uh, for everything you do for this year, next year. Hopefully, I catch up with you at the Western State. Uh, if not, we'll catch up somewhere else. All right. Thanks a lot, Sam. It's great having you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Embrons Podcast. Please visit embrons.com to listen to previous podcast shows, links to our social media channels. Please follow Marathon Runs on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. 
for recent updates, race photos, discount codes, and more.